Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Corinne Altamari. Uh, she's from Hearthfire Holdings. Her and her husband run this business and they own and operate uh, assets close to $9 million in their, in, their, uh, you know, in their business. So she knows what she's talking about. Their focus is self-storage and selfishly and very interested in self Oh my God. Did you, did you plan that? You're selfishly, <laughs> selfishly interested in self-storage. Okay. Um, so on today's episode, you know, we get into some really great tips and strategies. If this is an asset class that you want to learn more about or grow what you have, regardless of where you are. First thing that I want to say just most helpful was how important it is to know the local market. I mean, that's important for any real estate venture, quite honestly, but it seemed to be really important because your clients are, you know, are really going to be businesses or people close in the proximity of where you are. So, you know, whether it's you or someone else, but that seemed to be a very important characteristic she talked about. And I, I did not know that before. And I think ladies, you'll get a lot from that uh, segment and, and the whole episode. Also following up about market markets, she talks about how selfish storage feeds the needs of people either on the down market and also when the market is up. And I thought that it was fascinating to look from different perspectives, especially what's going on right now with the pandemic, how self-storage is helping not just people, but also businesses to keep going. So if you're interested in learning more about self-storage, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are up to some amazing things supporting women, right? Living Absolutely. a financially free and 
balanced life. So we're excited to have Corinne on our show today. Corinne, welcome to our show and thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. We're excited to jump into Corinne's story. She is a meetup leader, or one of our investor meetup leaders in Philadelphia, and just an extraordinary person uh, inside and out. So we'll get to her story in a moment. Um, but like we always do, Andressa, we'd like to connect with all you amazing women. Yeah. Uh, just something that's coming up for us or just something to share with you. What's so, going on with you? Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> what is it going on with me, right? <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot happening in the world. There's a lot happening for all of us, right? With everything happening and all the uncertainty, but certainty. Um, what I'm really grateful for right now, cause I think that is a good place for all of us to be. Um, especially when your mind starts to wonder of the things that we're not grateful for. It's really good to stop and say, what are mm -hmm. you grateful for? Um, all of our meetups, we were growing our meetups really, really well, right, Andressa? Corinne yeah. knows. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, the coronavirus hit. So a lot of in-person anything stopped. <laughs> so uh, I'm just grateful for all the, the meetup leaders that have converted their meetups to like a virtual, uh, you know, setting. So Zoom calls, um, I think we have four or five happening every week. So I really wanted to encourage the women watching the podcast, listening to the podcast, where, however you're consuming this, this information, to, um, to head over to our Facebook group. It's a free group. It's, it's about 3,000 amazing women who are supporting each other. We're very, very, very diligent to not have spammers in our group. Um, Andres and I are, watch it all the time, and we yeah. have other folks helping us. So, and um, just go to the events page, and you can, you can access any meetup right now across the country virtually. And I, I don't know if we'll ever have that again. So I just really wanted to encourage the women listening to, to do that and to be part of those great meetups. Yeah, another, pay, another space that they can uh, find all the meetups is at meetup.com slash investor. And all the meetups that you see there, you will see that they are virtual and you can register there or on our um, investor community page, either or. But I will certainly look at it. And that's something that sometimes people were always asking when there is a, a meeting, you know, in yeah. Boston or New Jersey and you're in like California and you want to attend that. So now is an opportunity for all everybody to attend all those great meetings is great yeah. source really super cool and the, the the leaders are doing just a great job balancing their lives and worlds and and also then figuring out technology and all those sort of things so uh without further ado corinne is actually going to be speaking uh you know at, at one of these meetups and um you know we asked all the women corinne to share how they began their journey and how did you get started in this 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 world of investing and I know a bit about your backgrounds and I love it. So I, I you know, would love for you to share that with the women listening. Oh, the short answer would be um, kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, so it was the best way, right? Kicking and screaming, right? Absolutely. I, I will never forget um, sitting at a, at a desk in front of my computer, having my final, you know, panic before submitting my first offer. Uh, but my, my previous career was in music, uh, still is in, in a small part in music. And so I came to real estate investing as a way to establish um, some cash flow, some passive cash flow. It's turned out to be not at all passive, but um, but to just to have a little bit of a buffer to help support me in my artistic endeavors in between gigs. It's a very paycheck to paycheck um, 
lifestyle. There's a lot of gaps in there. And I'm lucky enough to come from entrepreneur parents. And my father very much, very strongly encouraged me into investing. Mm. Um, And so it was a little bit of kicking and screaming at first. And I spent probably a good year plus walking through properties and trying to find the right one because I purchased as an owner occupant. I was looking for a multifamily Mm. and did end up uh, buying a triplex with two tenants and one unit vacant. So it was perfect for me looking um, to live in my first investment. And um, it was it was a struggle. It was in a, a new part of town. I'm from Los Angeles originally. This was in Philadelphia. I had been in the city for maybe a little over a year at that point, um, starting to learn the neighborhoods and Philadelphia is very neighborhood uh, specific. Um, so that's a slightly long-winded way of saying how I got started into real estate investing. I needed, I needed um, something underneath me as I performed and pursued my passion projects. And so when I first got started, it was for that. It was something so that I didn't need to continue in my W-2 job necessarily. Um, I had always worked in some sort of office environment to help pay the bills in between gigs as well. And this was just an extension of developing a stronger financial foundation that would allow me to go after my passions. That. And overall, I think we all want that, right? No matter if you're like an artist or you're an entrepreneur and you want to invest in something else, just real estate is a tool for us to do, to have the freedom to do whatever we want to do with, with life. And you started with that in mind. So looking back, right? We always say, oh, if I knew this, then, then I'll have done different. <laughs> is there anything that you will have done different if you knew what you know now or what are the, the pitfalls that you could have avoided if you knew then what you know now? So our first couple of properties we purchased individually and then we started purchasing in syndications with family and friends and we stood up a separate LLC for every partnership and every property that ended up being a lot of administrative overhead. Um, And we set it up to be ultra conservative and protect every investor from every possible avenue of lawsuit uh, damage um, and minimizing exposure. My father's an attorney. So Mm. we were coming at it very conservatively. It ended up being a huge um, administrative overhead tracking all of those separate entities, all of the different tax filings. Um, And so now I would find a different way to approach that maybe from a, a global LLC or some, I'm not, I'm not an advisor, so I don't necessarily have the answer, but I would maybe find a different way just to try to cut back because of all the hours and focus that we spent overseeing all those different entities. We could have spent some of those time, you know, finding the next deal and continuing to grow. I don't regret any of the choices that we made. It got us to where we are today. We're, we're managing $9 million worth of assets right now after eight years. So I'm not complaining at all. That was just one um, aspect of operations because we're a two person shop. It's my husband and I, and we 
do everything. Um, so that was one part that there's a lot of legal complications there um, that if we were larger, we could have outsourced sooner. Um, and maybe if we were smarter and had structured things a little bit more simply from the get-go, it would have opened up some more of our time. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely relate to that in a lot of ways because it's like, you really don't know what you don't know, right? And, and you know, we all say that, but it's, it's so true. So, um, and we wanted to be ultra conservative, especially when you start out syndicating and you're dealing with other people's money, money. and financial futures. You know, we, we just wanted to make sure that our investors were protected. So I don't absolutely. regret the choice at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, and when you started, you, so you started investing with your own money. Then you, um, the, the first syndication, was that on the residential side? Or was that on the self-storage side? Because I know you're heavily focused on self-storage, which we really want to get into today. I think that's such an important asset class, especially with everything happening in the world. But I'm curious, did you start syndication until you, when you got to self-storage invest, your investments or yes. is it residential? Yes. So we started, we started syndicating smaller multifamilies in 2014. And these were small multifamilies in the Philadelphia area started out just with family. It grew to include very close friends and then other people started finding us. Um, and so what we did is we were in a very heavy acquisitions phase really from 2013, which is when we were personally buying 2012, 2013. And then 2014, we started syndicating. We continued buying until 2016, smaller multifamily residential and at the at 2016 also started including some some commercial spaces mixed use as well we stopped buying in 2016 and we started selling in 2018 we started preparing the properties for sale 2017 early 2018 mm. because the where the market was in philadelphia while we had originally looked to acquire these for long-term buy and hold that that was our guiding principle going into this um, with where the market was at the time, the numbers that we were seeing happening in Philadelphia and looking what we could deliver to our investors, we said to ourselves, there's no way that we can't take this opportunity. And so we, and we were at the height of a cycle at that point, 2017. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how self-storage first got on our radar, but we were looking for more recession resistant assets, mm -hmm. right? Nothing's recession proof, but self-storage is is hyped to be very recession resistant so we started looking into it researching it becoming familiar with it and slating those smaller multifamilies to sell consolidate all the gains from our investors and we had different pools of investors in those different projects started educating our investors on self-storage what we were thinking about moving forward and all of the investors except one stayed with us they mm. captured the gains from the sales from the multifamily and we pulled all of all of those funds together which allowed us then to get into self-storage at a much um, a much larger facility it's thirty-five thousand square foot facility um so it was a it was a long process over you know years of self-education um, educating our investors as well as, as to why we wanted to make that pivot, reading the market, responding to market conditions, not trying to make something work that really wasn't. I mean, in multifamily, the numbers were getting, the, the margins were getting slimmer and slimmer. And, we, and in our underwriting multifamily, we just couldn't in good conscience find any more good deals for our investors. And we didn't want to go 
out of state, we like being very hands-on with our investments. We personally are always invested in our projects, and we also serve as the property management function as well. So for all of those reasons and for, and for our whole approach um, behind why we do this, we wanted to stay somewhere where we could be close to the investments. And because we couldn't find multifamily options that worked, we pivoted and we found a self-storage that did. So, and you're, you're probably one of the best people to ask this question of multifamily, not verse, self-storage. I don't <laughs> want to say it like it's against one another, but I'm curious, you have holdings right now in both. And, you know, obviously we're, we're going through what we're going through. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? What are you experiencing real life, real time in terms of those two classes of assets? Right. Self-storage is busy right now. <laughs> it's really busy right now. Um, the, the property that we purchased, um, when we purchased it, it was at 70% economic occupancy. We are now at 78%. Um, now we're also hitting the spring market when it traditionally gets busier. Um, but we are full in all of the largest sizes within that facility. Our multifamily holdings, because we do maintain uh, 60 doors in uh, multifamily in and around Philadelphia, um, we do have we have we have a barbershop. We have businesses that have been shut down from the very beginning. Yeah. And so with those businesses, they're you know, until this happened, they're fantastic tenants. So we're working with them as far as either uh, full scale, just relief, just pausing rent payments until businesses get back up and running or otherwise working out some sort of payment plans. Um, from our residential um, tenants, you know, not, knock on wood, everybody has paid so far. We have not heard from anyone needing accommodation for May. Uh, we had 100% collection rate in April. So you know, but we are expecting May and even possibly continuing into June to be the more difficult months because leading into April, people still had some reserves. People were still working halfway through March. So we're taking things one day at a time. And, and I will say for my, for my meetup um, sessions coming up, I guess, depending on when this airs, but I'll be presenting on this exactly for the Pittsburgh meetup at the end of this month, and then for the Newtown Square meetup at the end of May. And so for those sessions, when we have a little bit more time, I'll, I'll be pulling up, um, you know, real-time numbers side-by-side yeah. of multifamily versus our self-storage, because why not? And people want to know, you know, is it really recession-resistant? Well, this is what we're experiencing right now. What right. do you love? Yeah. I'm sorry. Go on, Jessica. No, I was just curious to understand. I have some assumptions why the self-storage is, is busy, but I don't want to, you know, put it out there. You're the expert here. Why is it busy? What, what is happening sure. right now? Is so, it because of the, the virus or something else? From a personal perspective, if people have to downsize, then they're putting their belongings into storage. If they're downsizing from a three bedroom house into a one bedroom apartment, they're putting their things in storage for in the short term, hoping that when things get better, they can move back into the home of their dreams. Um, For businesses, self storage is cheaper to store your, whether it's product, whether it's if you're shutting down your business for now or closing down your commercial storefront, but you don't wanna sell all of your equipment, you know, if you 
had a restaurant or a kitchen, you spent thousands and thousands of dollars on your, on your stainless steel grade, top of the line stove, oven, cooktop, all of that. It's cheaper to put into storage than to continue to pay commercial rent. The price per square foot is lower. Um, for uh, we also actually have, we're, we are donating space to local um, facilities that are supporting homeless shelters, collecting food supplies and things like that. So we're also working with the community to provide space to, to help allow for some of that. Um, so so self-storage is used in uptimes and in downtimes when things are great and you're making it, you know, a couple extra zeros on your paycheck and you want to, you want to buy, you know, a, a boat or an extra four wheeler, or if you collect classic cars, people use self-storage for that. When things are on the downturn, if you're either downsizing or you need to make a move to find more work, self-storage is an option there. Hmm. That's really, and that's really a good point, right? So you're, you know, you're hedging your, you're, yep. you're, you're mitigating your risk one way or the other, right? Which is absolutely for, for, for everyone is something we're always all trying to do, you know, more and more of. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm curious, you know, the women listening say they want to learn more, get involved in self-storage, um, you know, in their experience in real estate, what did you wish you knew transitioning from one asset class to another? What did, well, let me, first question, what did you take from what you knew of, of assessing multifamilies and on that side of it to 
to the self-storage world, you're using words that are not used in multifamily, right? You've, you've already used a few words that I know what you mean, but I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's how you say it in the self-storage world. Sure. So there's a whole vocabulary, right? There's a whole vocabulary that, or a, a lingo, so to speak, that you've had to learn and understand and be able to converse. Cause you're not going to go to a seller of a self-storage and start just saying stuff. They're going to think these people are not, they don't know what they're talking about. So you got to know what you're talking about. So right, right. how did you make that shift and what, you know, what do you wish you knew? And, and you know, what would you share with the women listening that want to really learn more about this really interesting and probably very powerful asset class as we move into what we're moving into with a recession? Right. So we took everything that we had learned from property management. So since we had always been hands-on property management for our residential um, properties, those same sort of systems approach to running the business, right? Um, we started our company very shortly after acquiring the first building um, because, you know, there was there was no way that I was going to be knocking on doors, collecting paper checks. So we we built in a whole back end system of, of fully fledged property management software um, and automated the heck out of the operation. So we did the same thing for self storage. Um, the property that we acquired um, was run by a, a husband wife team. Um, for, for 30 years and before the wife, the husband and, and his father. Um, so it was a really great family legacy, very deeply connected in the local community. And self-storage also is a, is a local business. Your client base is going to be one three, five miles. So mm -hmm. when you're assessing the property and in, in, rural er, in rural areas, that will spread out to maybe 10, maybe 15 miles, but it's very much a, a close, close knit um, impact. So when you're looking at properties, you're looking at who's around you in the immediate area, you're looking at the demographic numbers, you're looking for your client base, right? And so the the tools and the approach that we brought to self-storage was everything that we had learned in residential property management, but with le way less overhead. I mean, you're not dealing with individual plumbing systems or electrical. I mean, self-storage is concrete slab, steel metal buildings, sheet metal roof, and doors that roll up and close and lock. I mean, it's fantastic. No toilets. <laughs> no toilets. Toilets, trash, and tenants are the three, the three T's that you don't have to deal with in self-storage. Um, but so for anyone listening who's, you know, maybe approaching burnout from the landlord perspective, um, self-storage is a great opportunity to minimize the burden on running day-to-day -day operations, you can implement some really fantastic technologies that make things, um, you know, you completely hands off. There are a number of facilities now that are completely unmanned, meaning there's nobody on site. If anybody rolls up and is interested in a unit, you know, they would just pull up the website on their phone. You can get a remote one-time view code to get through the front security gate. You tour yourself. You can call someone on the phone or you can do a full move-in reservation, um, e-signature of your lease and, and everything from, from your phone without yeah. talking with anyone. And that's, so that's how we set up our facility. When we acquired it, it was completely handwritten ledger um, and, and completely uh, paper-based. The owner had a website but didn't know how to get to it. Um, and so we just threw all the new technology at it 
in order to make it run with as little overhead as possible and successfully as possible. That's kind of like a perfect scenario, right? You get it was perfect for us. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. So I'm curious, like how how you guys find it, how you find <laughs> like you drive around. Months. It's just like- eighteen months of 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 looking. This was an on market uh, listing. Um, I know people that have great success with off market. That's a whole other skill set and one that I have not perfected yet. Um, for our first acquisition in a new asset class, we felt most comfortable going with something on market, working with a broker, being able to fully vet through the broker and their intermediaries, all the numbers um, and all the ins and outs of the deal. So this was an on market listing. It came through a brokerage that we had looked at a few of their other um, listings, been outbid on, um, and so we, you know, we were on their mailing list as far as when things hit the market. We had started to develop a relationship with that house, and so, um, and we were very upfront with this uh, particular project. You know, in our in our cover letter when we submitted our offer, we explained us our history as as a, a husband-wife team, uh, investing with our family, our focus on um, not being hands-off, you know, maintaining the family and community legacy and honoring that. Um, and I think that really helped because we certainly were not the only offer, um, but I think that certainly helped set us a little bit apart when the seller was considering. Um, and it ended up being a really wonderful experience. We had a few days on site together working with the seller, you know, before we finally got to the settlement table, which was really helpful as well for us to just see how he was operating it and get a better feel for things. Absolutely. So when you're analyzing the deal, I'm just curious to see, um, you know, when we're analyzing, uh, you know, different deals, we have those criterias. If the property does not pass those criterias, um, it's a no. For uh, self-storage, what are, what are the numbers that you're looking for? You're looking for, I don't know, 50% vacancy, 80% fully, you know, occupied, what are the numbers and other, uh, other um, measures that you want to see on an ideal, um, ideal property for you guys? Property. Sure. So for us, the fact that this project had no technology presence was a positive, right? We knew that we could add value there. His, um, the occupancy there was not incredibly low, but it was low enough that we figured, okay, well, we throw some technology at things and we can bump those numbers up. Um, I know other investors look for much lower occupancy, you know, 30 to 50%, or even if it's under 30%, they're not necessarily scared off. We didn't want anything that was too far on the extremes, again, because it was our first entry into this. We didn't want to bite off more than we thought we could handle confidently. So the, so the numbers where it was at was great. Um, full occupancy or occupancy in the 80 to 90% even, there's not enough meat on the bone there. Um, and so those sorts of projects we would buy purely for cash flow if everything else made sense. That's great. <clears throat> and I, I think what you're saying is something that the women listening really need to hear. A lot of what you said, but most importantly, as, as everything is unfolding, businesses, the amount of businesses, self-storage 
is, is obviously connected to investing, but it's really a business. It's, it's a business. It absolutely it's business. is. Yep. So then you think about the statistics and the amount of businesses that are going to be, that are affected right now. Um, you know, every, I think this is a huge opportunity as, as we unfold this whole, you know, epidemic unfolds as a, as, you know, as, as investors and as, as entrepreneurs. I mean, you have people who may have been in this business for 30 years, just like the mom and pop multifamily, you know, they're, they're just tired. They're tired mm -hmm. of dealing with it. And you saw an opportunity, this was before obviously everything happening, but you saw an opportunity to add value. And I think women listening get that, that if you can add value on some level, you know, there are people that are going to be ready and willing to sell, even if you think this is like the most amazing opportunity, just because it's self-storage or mobile home parks or whatever, whatever everyone's saying we, we all should get involved with next. Right. There's going to be people in that business that are done because of what's going on. Just done. Whether life is short, whether they've made the money they've wanted to made, there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity to present yourself. Like you're saying, Hey, we're, we're going to be, and I love what you're saying about the family and bringing that aspect, that localness to aspect here. Um, not every asset class has to do with that, right? You know, right. certain multifamily, um, we bought multifamily buildings in different states. That's not always an important aspect, but it mm -hmm. is in what you're saying. So you have to know, ladies listening, you have to know what is important in this asset class. Because if you're just wheeling and dealing and you got the money behind you, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the most important thing, right? To what you just I mean, mentioned. You, you absolutely can. But to, to make self-storage more approachable for hopefully yeah. for the audience here, there are absolutely smaller facilities that are run by, you know, one owner that are too small to make sense even for us at this point, right? Our, our baseline criteria is at least 35,000 square feet because otherwise the numbers just aren't there with, with with what we know the technology systems cost and everything else gotcha. for us for it to make sense for our investors because we're looking at it as a syndicate purchase mm -hmm. but if you're an individual investor and want to start out with you know 50 garages somewhere in the middle of in the middle of the countryside yeah. that's still within an hour drive of you that's great yeah you know that's still a great opportunity and as long as the demographics are there to support it, yep. then it could very well be uh, worth considering, especially if you're, you know, if single family or fixing and flipping isn't working for you anymore, or if yep. you just want to try something different, Absolutely. less overhead. Um, and there was something that I wanted to say that I'm now forgetting, but it'll come back to me. <laughs> Welcome to my world on a One daily part. moment to moment. I, I've had that happen during our interviews, right? On trust, I'm like, I just stop and I'm like, I... <laughs> Don't even know what's going on here now. I'm joking. You know, so before I forget why you yes. mentioned about the demographics, right? So, you know, putting the property itself aside, what are you looking for in terms of demographics, employment, growth? What are the other items that is important to you guys? Right. So general square, um, general rule of thumb for self-storage is seven square feet per person. So you're going to look at your population density and that changes whether you're urban, uh, suburban or rural. So you're, you're, whether you're in the one mile radius or 10 mile radius, it depends where you are. So you're going to look at you're going to look at how many people you have living immediately around you. You're going to look at how your population adjusted over the past 10 years, thanks to you know, all, all sorts of websites now, you can find that information freely available. You're gonna look at, you know, during the last recession, 2008 to 2010, how, how did things shift in that area? Did they at all? And 
Oh, I think the other thing that I forgot to say earlier was that self-storage through the shutdown has been deemed an essential business. So we have been open. We have shut down our office and minimized person-to-person contact, but we are open as an infrastructure supplier. So it's not just people that are personally using self-storage. It's, it's businesses, it's warehouses, it's for, it's for you know, Amazon distribution, um, all those sorts of um, ways of serving the local and more further flung communities. Um, so I think that's what I forgot to say earlier. Um, Andressa, to your question about how you, how you look at that, those are some of the metrics that we're looking at as far as evaluating if it's a reasonable business worth investing into. Um, we were looking at some other possibilities that were in, you know, what, what I would call depressed areas. And, and I posted some of the specifics out to a few Facebook community groups that I'm a part of that are specifically for self-storage investors and operators. And one woman chimed in and said, poor people need storage too. You know, not all of us have expansive closets in our apartments or homes. So you do have to dig into the numbers. There are a few standard rule of thumb metrics. And then, you know, you just got to spend your time underwriting. And I love what you're saying, too, because I think out of a lot of what I mean, you know, I think all of us have been asking ourselves so many questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you you have a business, you have property or really any sector of this, you're, you're being affected. But how can you run your business virtually, right? That's what we're all mm-hmm. learning, right? So, and if you get into something new, does it have the opportunity to be run virtually? Arguably, self-storage is so much more of a virtual business than a multifamily business. I mean, you, can't, you cannot deny that. I am a huge proponent of multifamily. That is what most of our majority of our, our, our assets are in. But you cannot deny the fact of if you go, you know, head to head. So I think we all have to ask ourselves questions as we make further investments, as we make further decisions on businesses or next phase of our life as this all unfolds, can it be run virtually is a really good question to ask. Mm -hmm. God forbid something like this, no matter however long this takes, but if it is to happen again, can it be run virtually? And I think that's setting, you set yourself up to be run virtually without knowing that this was coming. And I think, you know, kudos to you. I mean, you were just obviously efficiently running the business, but we were just right. Exactly. I mean, we were just you couldn't have done it better. Model. You know <laughs> we, what I mean? Like, that's awesome. We, we, so made it we all can learn from that of time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, our whole that. focus, because as we built our, as we built our business, we were both working full-time jobs as well as managing residential properties. So we had to really tighten things up and make, make sure that things could be handled, you know, within those 10 minutes in between meetings or during lunch yeah. hour or, you know, after hours. So everything that we learned and built and developed all those years led up to what we were able to do and grow into self-storage. And it absolutely, it absolutely is um, possibly to be completely hands-off. I mean, we have yeah. a part-time on-site uh, woman who lives four minutes down the road. Um, and, but even before this hit, you know, she was 20 hours a week. And then the rest of the time we were managing, you know, kind of had a juggling system and schedule as far as who's going to be on phones. And you can even outsource phones with call centers now. Plenty, plenty of the bigger operators do. We didn't want to introduce that additional expense right now. We get a lot of um, we, we go very far with Google voice. We're very much a Google shop. Um, so we use all of the free or nominally priced tools first, and then only pay for what we find we actually need. 
It's really great. Well, your, your wealth of information, ladies listening, you need to learn more about Corinne and her husband and what they're up to. They just are, are great people and running a really growing business, which is, uh, I don't know if everyone could be saying that right now. So uh, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and all the, the you know, neat things you're up to? Sure. Um, so our website is hfireholdings.com. Um, I personally am on Facebook. Our company is on Facebook. I am not on Instagram, but our company is. <laughs> um, and um, so you could follow us there. I mistakenly joined Instagram personally and found it to be just too much. Um, too much. So I had to disable the account. It's, there are too many ways to stay connected nowadays. And yeah, right. there's so many avenues that I'm not any good on any one. So um, probably personally, Facebook, um, you'll see me around the meetup groups. So if anyone listening is not a member of your Facebook community for the real estate investor, then I would encourage you to join there and you'll see me on the page for, for, um, those sorts of conversations as well. Yeah. And, um, yep. I think I gave you enough content. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, and Corinne is the leader of our Philadelphia chapter. She's doing an amazing job there. I highly recommend you guys to check what they, they have in storage for you guys. Um, I think the next one is going to be uh, the birth, the, you guys doing the birth the next, strategy. Yes. It's going to yeah. be so refinanced. It's going to be the refinance section. So, and it's funny because I know nothing about Burr, right? So I feel like a complete imposter putting this on, but I'm not speaking. I just facilitate. Um, exactly. So 20, 2020, we've been doing a little like kind of mini session on Burr and each month breaking down each step in that process. So next, um, next month is going to be the final step, uh, which is refinance, or I guess repeat would be the final final, but we're going to be talking about refinance, which will be interesting because nowadays, you know, the whole financial lending industry is changing. Um, so we'll see, you know, what we can talk about that is still relevant and timely. Um, and, you know, acknowledges that, that we are living amidst massive change right now, and maybe the old rules don't apply. Um, but here's what we can find that's working, you know, right now. So I love so that. Yes, that community is amazing. We're over 800 members now. It's incredible. Unbelievable. <laughs> So you guys that are hearing us uh, right now, you can go to meetup.com slash investor or check out the events page on our Facebook investor community. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And Kareen, the first question that I have for you is uh, in terms of books, when I would talk about books and everything else, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? Um, and this is supposed to be a short answer. Okay, so I'm going to say the Bible. I went to private Catholic school for most of my upbringing. Um, I went to church at least three days a week. And so that had a, that is a huge foundation for me personally. On the complete opposite end of the extreme um, is Ayn Rand, the Fountainhead Atlas Shrugged. And talk about extremes. You have the Bible and you have Ayn Rand. You have selflessness and selfishness. So I exist, my day-to-day -day existence is somewhere on the continuum between those two extremes. It's kind of like, you know, one thing complements another or I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it, 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 it goes, it goes together. It's, it's, it's a balance that there is no, you, you know, it's a balance and it's something that I wrestle with every day, but mm -hmm. uh, we are not simple beings and right. I just embrace, embrace that challenge. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Wake up before everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) So I I have a three-year-old daughter. um, And when I started, and I am a morning person, thank God. Um, But when I started implementing and keeping myself on the schedule of waking up with at least an hour or two before she does so that I can read and write and make sure that I'm clear on my priorities for the day, Um, either get out to the gym or do some home yoga. That sets my day up so much better. And and my husband can tell you the difference in my personality when I don't. (laughs) So yep, wake up when it's still dark. That's awesome. Corinne, thank you so much for being on our show. uh, One more question. Oh, I'm totally cutting you off, man. God, you got to fire me or something. (laughs) I have one more question. I am so sorry, Andresa. No worries. The last question for you, Corinne, is which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Yeah, this is easy. My mom. Um, She she started um, her own company. Um, She ran a Montessori preschool for years and years, uh, built and purchased, built and developed it when I was 10 years old. So I remember um, she purchased a home and converted it into a Montessori preschool setup. And she is a quiet strength person. You know, when she walks into the room with my dad, my dad dominates and, and I love him. And he's also been a massive influence on me. But my mother is quietly in the background, always making sure that everything actually gets done the way it should. Isn't that the truth for so many women, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry for cutting you off, both of you. I can't take me out to do anything. But but Corinne, we really do appreciate you so much being on uh, our show. Thank you for being a meetup leader. Thank you for being a contributor. You're always active in the community. We have, what what I love about our community is there's some amazing women that are new, that are experienced and, and everyone's supporting each other. Cause quite honestly, we're all, we're all figuring it out. We're all growing. We're all learning. Anyone that tells you different is I think lying. So, mm-hmm. um, but thank you so much. Appreciate your time and appreciate you sharing all your great knowledge with the community. You're welcome. Thank you, ladies. This was wonderful. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.